0: This is How to Read. I'm Milan.
1: And I'm Olivia, the producer of this episode. Today we're talking with Jan Radway, a scholar who studies readers in their social contexts. This episode is about communities of readers. The classic image of a reader is someone alone with their eyes on a book, ignoring the world around them. But Jan Radway argues that the communities we're in can shape what we read and how we read. Reading is not something that only takes place in our individual minds, but an activity that influences, and is influenced by, our social world. From prison reading groups to caregivers who read to get a break from their domestic duties, people read with agendas and desires they share with others in similar situations.
0: Jan Radway, welcome.
2: Thanks. Thanks for the invitation.
0: So... We are really excited to talk to you today, and the topic that we're gonna talk about is the idea of communities of readers. So um, a first question that I have is, what are the things that create communities of readers?
2: Well, much of what one would wanna say about it depends on how you define community. Um, Mm. because uh, community, you know, can be a term that actually refers to people who socially gather in person together in some sort of conversation.
0: Well, Um, that seems very out of date right now with COVID. People are not (laughs) gathering (laughs) (laughs) together.
2: Yes, no, so there's only, you know, a a simulacrum of that kind of uh, gathering. Uh But um, when you think of the relationship between reading and community... You can think of actual in-present communities like book clubs, and they get together and they read those books. I mean, they may read them individually, but then they get together and discuss them. So that's one way of thinking about communities of readers. But community um, is a word that's been used um, sociologically. So people who have similar um, experiences, similar determinants of their social situation, those okay. people could be thought of as a community of readers. But again, it's, it's not that they get together, but rather their, their reading is determined by a set of um, assumptions, desires, concerns that are a function of their particular social position. For instance, scholars have written about uh, readers who are brought together by their preference for a certain kind of genre. So Aaron Smith, one of my former students, for instance, has written about working class readers in the 30s, 40s and 50s and their preference for hard-boiled detective stories.
0: Mm, Yeah. And so, I mean, I'm interested in sort of like, I think you used the phrase like social position, Yes. So I guess uh, what what do you mean by social position? So class, like working class. Yes, it could class, be class, it could be gendered.
2: Um it yeah. could be um ethnicity.
0: Hmm. So we've got we've got these these groups of people who may not like read literally in the same room but then they're gathering in a space to to share that experience of reading. And then the other side is these sort of we call them communities, but um, they're not necessarily like physically gathering, but they are, um, you know, you mentioned like working class readers. So so there, it's like a kind of grouping that like we might perceive, but they don't necessarily think of themselves as a group.
2: Yes. I mean, we tend to assume reading is private, is singular. Right. And it is driven by, you know, your personal desires. But in fact,
0: yeah, right. It's like reading, that image of like you alone in your room right. with your eyes locked on a book.
2: Yeah, right. that's an ideological image of the reader that's historically specific. Um, but the other thing that's important to understand is reading is always social. Another one that's really interesting, also yeah. written about by uh, a former student, uh, Megan Sweeney, Um, And her book is called Reading is My Window, and it is about women in prison who read true crime, um, often together, um, uh, but across prisons as well. So this is a phenomenon. um, This is an extended community of readers, but within a particular prison, they can get together and read these stories and talk about them together. So you can see the question of what a community of readers is, is a complicated one.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And with that example you know it's not even like i think the word community tends to evoke kind of like happy positive associations but when it's you know incarcerated women incarcerated people like they're not there by choice but Nonetheless, it sounds like they're choosing to read the same books as each other.
2: Yes, uh, that th- these are books that they prefer to read, and Megan has a, a, a complex account of why that might be the case. Um, but it has to do with their own life experiences and the way those particular literary texts address those or enable them to think about them. For instance, uh, you know, the question uh, was raised in the 70s about the explosion of what were called bodice rippers, Um, popular uh, romances um, that suddenly exploded in popularity and they had pictures of a heroine literally with her bodice torn by the hero, right? And so the question was, well, who's reading these stories? What does the explosion in popularity of this um, form mean? And, Mm. you know, there was a lot of debate about that because in the seventies people assumed that it was simply a backlash against feminism. This was a return to very standard ideas about femininity, about sexual relationships, what have you. Um, Mm. But then people began to ask, well, what actually happens in the act of reading? Who is reading these things? How are they reading them? Where are they reading them? How are they talking about them? And Mm. that's Um, a moment when what I would call the sociology and anthropology of reading kind of took off and people began to ask these questions about all sorts of readers and all sorts of genres. So again, it can
0: vary. It's Mm.
2: complicated.
0: (laughs) It is complicated. It's reminding me of a a conversation that we recorded with Usha Aya, who's a scholar of Hindi cinema. Mm -hmm. And she was talking about the, the endings of, um, typical Hindi films where there's like a kind of like romance between a man and a woman and it ends with them getting married and being very kind of like conservative and so on but that she was arguing that actually it's like the middles of these movies where there's kind of spectacle and the women get the amazing dancers and have all this energy and power that's what viewers take away and they just they know the endings are kind of crappy and simplistic and they just kind of yeah
2: That's totally, that that, that totally accords with my experience with readers of romances in the same way. And in fact, some of the Mm. women that I interviewed for um, an earlier book I wrote called Reading the Romance insisted on reading the ending of a book first. They wanted to make Mm. sure that the ending was there and that it was all going to, you know, turn out okay in the end. But that freed them to involve themselves with an identification with this heroine and the way she was threatened, the way she was um, uh, uh, overly ambitious. It, you know. So how we would analyze the text, that's not necessarily how readers experience moving through that text.
0: Mm. So, I mean, I'm really curious to hear more about the research that you personally did with these romance readers. And yeah, I'm just curious to hear more about that like what did you how did you research what they were reading and what did you discover there
2: well I was kind of seat of the band scholarship <laughs> I have to say <laughs> so there was this conversation going on as I mentioned about uh well what did the explosion of interest in romance publishing um suggest and hmm. I kept thinking that, oh, it's got to be more complicated than it's just a flash, you know, just a um, a backlash. So I decided to see if I could figure out how readers actually read them. Um, And I wrote to publishers and I was surprised that they didn't know. They were only interested in buying. (laughs) So they were Hmm. not really interested. Hmm. Um, And then I happened to see a little squib in a publishing industry magazine about this woman in the Midwest. And had enough information, it had her name, and it had the mall bookstore. So I wrote to her blind, um, and she was lovely, and wrote me back and said, oh, I'd be glad to talk to you. Come out. I'm going to be on my vacation. So the way it got started, and what was startling to me, was I started asking her, one of the first questions I asked was, what do romances do better than other novels available today? I thought that was a question about the text. The answer I got was, well, I've run them up to school, I've made their lunch, I've gone home, I've done the laundry, I've uh, cooked dinner for everybody. So that directed Mm. my attention to the act of reading. And so Mm. then I became interested in what the relationship was between the act of reading in their daily lives, and most of the women were married middle-class mothers, Um, whose principal job was the caretaking of others. And as a consequence, they were overworked um, and tired. And reading then was a respite. It was a way that they carved out space for themselves because people respect a book. And if you're reading, they tend not to interrupt you. Hmm. So then I began to explore the nature of the relationship between that act of reading in the context of their daily lives and the nature of the story. And the story, you know, to make a very long story short, is is in many ways about the taming of a Rochester, Mr. Darcy kind of figure who's gruff and nasty and mistreats the heroine. It's about Mm. the taming of that character. And he becomes in love with the heroine, nurtures her and cares for her. So it's a fantasy about being taken care of in the context of a situation where they take care of everybody else.
0: Mm. I see. So, yeah, I can imagine that for these women that have a lot of like, uh, childcare and housework duties and, you know, emotional labor in their daily lives, like reading a romance novel could actually be like a really appealing thing to just like, get away from it and not have those demands
2: yeah and I should say that there's now a lot of scholarship about how romances have evolved over the years um and wow. been marketed around the world um and those in those contexts, the romance can function quite differently because it can be a negotiation uh between what we might think of as Western ideas about femininity um and other particular contexts there are christian mm. romances where the romance story um is not only a a, a romance but about the finding of christ um, so the story has adapted and it has different meanings for different sorts of women in different contexts
0: mm. um i'm yeah so so i'm wondering about communities of readers, or oh, no, let me phrase it another way. I'm wondering about people who are kind of deliberately reading things that are like, quote unquote, like outside their communities. You know, so we're recording this in in August, 2020. Um, over the last few months, there's been a lot of um, Black Lives Matter activism. Mm. And, um, and one of the ways that, that, one of the things that I've seen is reading lists of black writers for white readers you know so like for people who don't have that as part of their culture and their community and their sort of like cultural heritage um reading these texts now to kind of inform themselves um so yeah the so the link in my head is like people reading things from communities that they're not part of Does that make sense?
2: Yes, absolutely. I mean, part of the problem, I mean, the massive problem of race, racism, and racial disparity is the problem of uh, segregated living. And many, many white people don't know and don't live near uh, people of different races, different class backgrounds. We live in quite class segregated communities. Um, And so there is this turn to books to reading as a way of attempting to understand different points of view um and a way to understand uh what it might have been like to grow up black to grow up as a young uh girl who was dismissed in lots of ways so yes those those um lists compensate
0: so, so it's one of the advantages of of kind of reading is that you can actually kind of join a community of readers even if you're not part of that kind of the demographic community
2: well that would that's 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 a question so and there there has been a lot of pushback and saying it's not enough to read a book um so you know that it, it is a practice that has appeal for a certain population, and they feel as if they're getting a window into a community that they're not part of, the problem is that could not lead to change. And so it could lead to what used to be called um, uh, white sympathy, right, which is what um, abolitionists had for African-Americans, but then they didn't involve themselves um, in further agitation. So the question is, um, is this kind of reading a kind of, um, what do I want to say, uh, escape valve? And is it, you know, preventing people from actually doing more? That's that's the issue. And that's why people are skeptical about those reading lists.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think if if all of a person's kind of like energy and outrage, if that is being channeled into books, then it's not going to help change the world.
2: You know, and that, of course, then raises the thorny question of what is the relationship between reading, thinking, um, and uh, acting socially in the public world?
0: Mm. But at the very least, yeah, like, yeah, reading might lead to acting, but reading alone is not acting.
2: Well, I mean, in some contexts, it can be, right? Those romance readers were acting with their books by keeping their family away. (laughs) So, you know, it it can be an act, but it's a limited act, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. John Radway, thank you very much.
2: You're welcome. Thanks for the good questions.
1: That's it for this episode. For links to books mentioned in our discussion, plus further reading, visit our website, howtoreadpodcast.com. You can also listen to two bonus clips, one in which Jan discusses readers of the novel Little Women identifying with the character Jo, and another in which she explains how the Book of the Month Club influenced middle-class readers in the United States.
0: To hear about our latest episodes and news, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, at HowToReadNow. This episode was produced by me, Milan Talunen,
1: And by me, Olivia Branscom. With editorial assistance from me, Eleanor Roth-Hessen. And from me, Abby Rooney. Our theme music is by Poddington Bear. Special thanks to Columbia University for its support, and thank you for listening.